today, I'm going to jump into Romans chapter 8. We're, we're going through the book of Romans. It's a letter from Paul the Apostle. It's found in the New Testament. And it's Romans is considered by many sort of the pivotal explanation of the gospel of all the things in the New Testament. And Romans 8 is considered sort of the crescendo of the book of Romans. So many people have said that Romans 8 is like perhaps the most crucial chapter in the entire Bible. Like scholars have said that, different people have said that. And so uh, last week, Doug Sigelko did an incredible job of doing the early part of, of uh, Romans 8, and then, and then he, he took us through the whole chapter, but he really centered in on the first part of the chapter, which was talking about our struggle with sin and how the Spirit of God comes to help us in that struggle with sin. And uh, I, he, by the way, he had an amazing illustration of uh, a regulator. He said uh, he had a little motor that used to be attached to an old dishwasher that was gas-powered or whatever, and he said he found it as a kid, and uh, it was detached now, and he started it, and it just sort of ran like a top, except for it annoyed him. There's this little tin thing on the side that was bothering him, and it was sort of flapping or whatever, so he took it off, and it was the regulator, and then that engine went crazy. And uh, what an incredible picture of what's happened to humanity. It's an incredible picture, and Romans talks about this, that we have, as, our, as the created ones, we have uh, disregarded our creator, and instead of being grateful to him and worshiping him, We've run after all sorts of things he's created, and, uh, and, it, and it's caused havoc in our world, just like when you take the regulator off a, a motor that's supposed to have a regulator. So we're, we, he, his whole message about being regulated by the spirit and not by the flesh, it was, it was really, really good. Um, but I, wanted, I was going to lean into ver- chapter 9 this week, and then I thought, no, no, this is Romans 8. It's the great 8. We, there's so much. I mean, you could spend, it's sort of like if you went into like a mega mansion and every room was so intricate and wonderful and amazing and full of treasures that you could spend a lifetime in each room. That's what Romans 8 is like. And so to even just spend two weeks in Romans 8 is, is still not plumbing the depths of what's there. Let me read to you the first line. First line. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you remember our journey through Romans, um, one of the ways to think of Romans is it's like a courtroom trial. And uh, in the first chapter, Paul is saying, there's good news, there's a way to be right with God, which you might yawn and say, oh, big deal, until you know the bad news. And so later on in chapter one, we hear the bad news very clearly um, that um, there, all of humanity is guilty before God. All of humanity is equally guilty before God and subject to his judgment because of our guilt, our guilt of sin. We're, we're a rebel creation. We're all born into sin. We're born into living for ourselves and not living for God. And that's our natural tendency. We have a sin nature, the, or the flesh, as, as uh, Doug was uh, saying it last week. And uh, so, so, just, so we've, been, we've been convicted. We are guilty and the handcuffs are on us, and we're about to be sentenced, and Jesus steps forward in the courtroom, and he says, wait a second, I'm going to, I want to pay the price that they need to pay. I want to, I'm going to take the punishment that, that humanity's sins deserve, so that they, they may have been convicted, they may be guilty, but that, so they won't be condemned, and that's how it begins. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong 
to Christ Jesus. I'm reading in the New Living Translation today if you're following along. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And the only way that that's possible, there's the only way that guilty humanity could stand before a holy God and have any chance is that God provides a way for us to become righteous in God's sight, to be right with God. And that's what the gospel is all about. How do we become right with God? It's not by our, our doing good things, although we are called to do good things. It's not by stacking up enough good things on one side that'll outweigh the bad things on the other side. It's not that. It's just that all of us are guilty before God and we, we need to trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that it was necessary because we're sinners, and that it was enough because he was not a sinner. He was completely righteous. He was the perfect sacrifice, and he could take all of our sins on him and in exchange give us his righteousness. So that's, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I'm going to talk about that. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I'm going to jump all the way forward to verse 14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. And this is sort of um, a summary statement of what Doug had shared last week. All who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Now, if you were at Sidewalk Days yesterday and you saw me walking through the crowds, um, how would you have been able to tell who my children are? Well, first, I'll, I'll let you know. If you haven't met my younger two children, they are way more, they're way better looking than I am. Right? You, you'd say, that's a total mismatch, Right? I mean, wow, they got some great genetics, but not from that guy. And so you might look at, you wouldn't just be able to pick them out because they look like me. But you know, you would be able to know. And you know the way you'd be able to know? Because my children follow me. They do. Not perfectly, but they do. If we were walking through sidewalk days through the crowds, they would follow me. They'd make sure they're close enough to dad. They wouldn't want to lose me in a crowd. They'd quite get a little anxious if they did. And so that's how you can tell who the children of Steve are. How do you know who the children of God are? Well, this verse says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You can tell who Jesus' children or God's children are by the fact that they follow his lead by being led by the Spirit. So that's the first thing, is that Romans 8 is again and again and again, talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I didn't even realize how much it was talking about the Holy Spirit until I just kept going through it again and again and again. It's just talking about the Holy Spirit in our lives. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And verse 15 goes on to say, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Like, so here's a God who makes everything, all-powerful God, and we're guilty before him. And now it could be that in order to be right with him, we just submit to being his slaves, and we live in fear of his terrifying wrath, and that's how it goes going forward. And that could just be how it works. But that's not how it works. It says, instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. He adopted you. So how are we children of God? By adoption. By adoption. Now, hmm. Quick note on adoption. Adoption has gotten no press for a long time. Maybe it's, got, it's even got a little bit lately bad press. Um, I, I was noticing a post um, on, I think it was a Twitter post by Mark Hamill, who's the actor who plays Skywalker in, or uh, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. And he's, he put, he put a, a post on, sort of because now Roe v. Wade, all that stuff in the news, he put a, put a post on, and it was a picture of a couple who had 
publicly put online, we're willing to adopt your children. Like, we're, we're, they're one of the eons, the tons and tons of parents that are waiting to adopt children. And so he reposted their picture and then just sort of disparaged that, like, oh, look at these creepy people who want to, you know, adopt your children. And uh, then he got hammered on Twitter because the story of Luke Skywalker is a story of adoption. <laughs> so his, the character that we love him for is adopted by his, his aunt and uncle in the story, right? So his, all the Star Wars fans showed up to remind Mark Hamill of why they like him in the first place. Because he's adopted in the movie, right? So that was, I thought that was quite an ironic. But I just want to put in a quick plug for adoption. Where This is about adoption here. Adoption's in the heart of God, but... Um, it doesn't get a lot of press. You won't see a lot of billboards that are trying to get you to convince. Occasionally, you'll see a billboard that say, adoption is abortion's option. And I think that's something we need to keep in mind. I think what's become in our culture is sort of an idea that, you know, what do you do with babies that don't have someone to care for them? And I think people think just with one or two options, the one option would be, well, I guess you better buck up and raise them. Or the other option is, is, is abortion. And I... I'm astounded that the third option of adoption doesn't get much press, but it really should, because there are a lot of couples, really good couples, I know some that are just top shelf, they'd be better parents than I am for sure, and they've been waiting years to adopt a child. So I, I just throw that out there, if you're watching this online or you're, you're listening to this in the house and you're pregnant and uh, you don't know what to do, you, uh, first of all, you need people to walk with you through this because this is a big thing. But I do want you to just be open to adoption. You could give your child an incredible life. And um, so that's, I'm not going to go long on this. I could talk all service about adoption because it really it matters. But this passage has the adoption theme. It talks about being children of God at least four times in here. And it talks about adoption to sonship. That's the NIV version. But just straight up adoption in this NLT. It talks about it as well. So it's we become children of God by adoption. So you weren't born a child of God. Right? When you come kicking and screaming out of the birth canal, that's not, that's not how it works. You come to a point in life where you choose now, I don't know all the details of how it works where, you know, people talk about the age of accountability. And God, I think only God knows how that all works. But I don't, I'm not right with God because my parents were Christians. And I'm not right with God because I'm a good person. I can only be right with God if I come to trust in what Jesus has done for me and enter into that relationship with him. But the way is open for me to be adopted as his child. And, of course, I have, I have experienced that. I've come to that point of trusting him. And so I am his child by adoption. In fact, there's no other way to become a child of God. So, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, which is, is very similar to a, an affectionate way of saying father, like, like daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Heirs of God's glory. You say, what? Heirs of God, God's glory. What is that? I, I think all humans were made for transcendence. I think that's why mountains and oceans and uh, um, waterfalls and uh, 
the, the northern lights, and all these things really appeal to us because we're made for something bigger than ourselves. But if we stop at the northern lights or all these great wonders of creation, we've not gone far enough. And that was the old problem with, with, in Romans chapter 1, is people looked at the creation, and they wanted, oh, fish and birds, let's make statues of them. And, and people, they'd worship people, and, and it was like worshiping created things. When the truly, truly transcendent is God himself, who's the creator of all things. And so it says we're heirs of God's glory. And so we're, we are meant for transcendence. We're meant to experience God in all of his, his glory. And I love that it, it talks about not just being slaves or servants, but that we're, we're, we're heirs. So think of it this way. An employee works at a business or, or some place. Yeah, they work at a place, and then they, they go home at the end of the day after their hours are up to what really matters, their house, their family, their pets, uh, whatever, their sports car that they baby every week, whatever it is. They go home to the things they love. But... If you're an heir and you work in that same business, well, you are going to inherit that business. And so maybe once the employees all leave, maybe all the family members who work in the business, they gather back in the shop and they talk about how we're going to grow this company and how we're going to advance this business and, and how to go today. Because they're all bought in at a totally different level. And that's the way it is with God. You're not just, oh, I'm just serving God and putting in my time. Well, what is it? You know, what's the minimum that God requires in order to be, be, like, okay with him? It's like, no, no, I'm building the kingdom of God because I'm going to inherit the kingdom of God. I'm reaching people for Jesus because I want to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I want those people to be with me and with God forever. So we're more than just servants of God. We are servants of God, but we are more. We are heirs and we are God's children. Now, there's two... I would say evidences in this passage that the Spirit of God is in you and that you belong to Christ and that you have been adopted as his ch- as child. And I don't want to skip them. I want to, I want to give them some, the rightful attention right as I go, go here. First, the first one is going back into verse 13. It says, um, if you live, talking about your sinful nature, if you live by the urges of the sinful nature, if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to de- deed... You put to death, sorry, the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So how do I know if I have the Spirit of God in me? If the Spirit of God is in you, the Spirit of God will lead you into battle with your own sin. The Holy Spirit will convict you. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. It convicts you of sin in your life and will lead you into warfare against that sin. So if you're experiencing, I'm just, I'm going to give you some things just to sort of, like, sometimes we go, sometimes we lack assurance about whether, am I a Christian? Am I saved? Has God really done a work in his life? Well, I'm going to give you a few hints, and, and the thing about this is that you can, t- I know this can go badly, so I'm going to try to give it a little bit of a corrective here. This doesn't mean that when you fight sin, you fight it perfectly. If you were just, like, First uh, John says, though, if you walk in the light, you know, it talks about, you know, that's another evidence. But nobody walks in the light perfectly. If you walked in the light perfectly, you wouldn't need Jesus to die on the cross for you. But the Spirit will draw us back. It'll draw us back to our sin and to fight in it. And you, you might say, man, I, I, this week I just totally got beat up by sin. I lost the battle against sin. I'm not, I'm not talking about winning all the time. I'm talking that you 
keep being drawn back in to fight it. That you hate your sin. That God shows you that your sin is sin. And that you agree with God about sin. And that's a growing reality. If you're a new Christian or, or maybe um, you've gone through a season where you just realize you haven't been growing, well, then maybe God wants to sharpen that up in you. But that's an evidence that you are his. Is that he's convicting you of sin and there's a responsiveness in you. And I'm not talking about always winning. I'm just talking about always being drawn back to fight. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. As it said, if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. He'll draw you back into uh, a fight with your own sin. Another evidence in here is, is, um, it says, now we call him Abba Father, for his Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Um, to come to God and say, God, you're my, you're my father, you're my dad, you're my, you're, and, and to do it with affection and love in your heart, that's a work of the Spirit. You don't love God if you are, uh, if the Holy Spirit's not at work within you. You might think it's a good, an admirable thing to think about or that, you know, God must be there, I believe he exists, but, but, your, but the call, Jesus made this clear that greatest commandment was to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So you say, oh man, I'm failing at that. Well, probably all of us are at some degree. But that the Holy Spirit will draw you back to that again. To love and to worship God. Um, in, uh, I think it's in Corinthians where it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they don't see. They don't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will exalt Jesus, will, will draw you into loving Jesus. So if you say, you know, there's been moments when we've been worshiping where I, I, I felt that a little bit. I've known that, or I've, I've come to appreciate who Jesus is, and I'm growing to understand him. And maybe you're, you're just getting to know Jesus. That's okay. But as you're going to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will work in your heart so that you come to love him and revere him and worship him. These are just... These are the things the Scripture says the Spirit is doing in our lives. So if you see those things, even in a small way, be encouraged and lean into those. He'll help you in your battle against sin. And he will also, uh, he'll, he'll draw you into a greater and greater love relationship with the Lord. Um, let me get one, I think I've got one more Scripture here I just want to share really quickly with you here. 1 John 2.1 says, it's, I've shared it a couple weeks ago in, in service, but I, I've been looking at it more. My little children, isn't that great? Affection. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here you have those two things that were already mentioned in Romans 8. Fighting sin, I'm writing these things so you may not sin. Right? When you hear teaching, you hear, uh, you know, or you read in the Bible that such and such is sin, what does your heart do? Does he say, ah, oh, God, I don't want to sin in this way. I want to be, I want to uh, honor you in this area. Or do you yawn and go, oh, yeah. It's no big deal. And then the flip side of the coin, if anyone does sin, this is just the grace for all of us who, who are often loaded under condemnation because of our own behavior. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteousness. So you have fighting sin on one side and that family relationship, that, that parent-child relationship with God on the other side. And so these become sort of, I, I feel like they're two boundaries that we bought back and forth between. It's like, wow, I just realized that this is wrong, this is sin, and so now I'm repenting of those things. Oh, but I'm failing in my fight against sin, and you've got an advocate who comes into your life and he speaks for you, even though your imperfect behavior doesn't measure up. Jesus measured up for you. It's an incredible reality. Sometimes you need one half of that verse and sometimes you need the other half, but together it, it fleshes out or it, or it sort of renames the things that we're looking at in, in Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit will draw you in to these things. And they're evidence that you've been adopted. You've been adopted into his family. All right. Let me read a little bit further into these, into these verses here. If we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly that for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Creation was subjected to God's curse. What are we talking about? When humanity rejected God, and it says in Romans 1, 25, and worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. When that happened, God added, I love how the NIV says, he added frustration to the creation. Because he, he wanted us to not to, to run after the, worshiping the creation and these created things, which he created good, but he wanted us to come back to the creator. And so you experience what I'm talking about. You experience the frustration of creation. Marriage is frustrating sometimes. No, not your marriage, but everyone else's. <laughs> but that's specifically in that Part of, when, when humanity rebelled against God, that's specifically stated in the frustration to come. Work would be frustrating. By the sweat of the brow, Adam, you will till the soil. Childbearing became frustrating. Added pain in childbirth is mentioned in Genesis as well. And then illness and getting old is frustrating. No longer eating from the tree of life no longer living forever, just decaying and dying and getting old, and then you, your knees don't work and you're, you're a rubbish soccer player and you can't... Oh, sorry, that's just my own griping. <laughs> it's all part of this... Creation is under frustration. There's a curse that's entered into the world. And the creation itself, this is an amazing thing, the creation itself is groaning under it, longing... It's like, it's like God gives creation a persona in this, and I, I'm not, you know, don't take that too far. You know, but God gives creation a persona that's groaning and waiting. When will the children of God be fully revealed for who they are? And we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're still living in the groaning phase. And the, and the scriptures talk about a new heaven and a new earth, and there's different uh, theories on how that's going to happen. Will it be this earth that's renewed? Will it be a completely new earth? 
we don't know. We, we, you know, in Revelation, it talks about the city of God, Zion, coming down on the earth, and God will be with his people. And uh, so we know we'll be with the Lord when we die. We don't know all the things, you know, there's different theories about exactly how it all is going to work out. We know enough to be confident to trust the Lord in these things. But again, creation is groaning for its own redemption. God's going to give us a very earthy existence in the future. We won't sit on clouds and eat Philadelphia cream cheese. We will be on the earth. As far as I know from Scripture, we'll live a very earthy existence. I think we'll, do, we'll make art and we'll invent things and I think we'll go on adventures and make music and I think we'll have work that's meaningful and everything you love about this world that's still frustrating, you'll, I think you'll experience in a better way in the world to come. But we're not there yet. We're still living in a world where there's decay and there's death and there's disease and that's what the next verse says. It says the creation looks forward but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. You know, this... This whole thing about waiting to be adopted, waiting for the final adoption, it got me thinking. So, again, many of you know that we, are, as parents, our family is, we have two kids by birth and two kids by adoption. So, and, and at, at, current, you know, at the current making of this sermon, we have two kids by fostering. So, if there are any other categories of kids out there, just we'll take two of them. Um, anyhow, in our journey with our, our third son, in our journey with our third son, which was an adoptive journey, there was sort of a window, which is very interesting. Uh, we, we sort of come to the point where we were ready to take some of the very final steps of adoption, and that was to meet our son-to-be in the foster home where he was staying and to spend several days visiting in that home. It was supposed to be a week, but we had to shorten it up because of busyness to only just three days. But to go every day and meet... Uh, the boy that would become our son. And we saw pictures, and we had, you know, all sorts of different things, information that you would need to help you to make a decision whether or not to adopt. And we'd been on the waiting list for five years, and then finally we got chosen to, to have an opportunity to adopt uh, this boy. So we were excited. We made a, a binder uh, with pictures of our family. So here's mommy and daddy, and uh, here's two older brothers, and here's what your room's going to look like or what it already looks like. And here's what the toy shelf looks like. You know, we're really trying to sell ourselves to a two-and-a-half-year-old boy, right? And, uh, you know, here's what our house looks like. And here's things we like to do that are fun. And so we just, you know, again, we're making this, this portfolio so that our potential son can see into the future what his life is going to be like and that he'll... He'll have great hope for the future, and he'll love the future, even though we aren't coming for a little bit. So that binder went out like a, probably at least a month before we arrived. So what the foster parents, who were just solid gold, awesome, they just, every night they would walk through and they'd say, and there's, there's mommy and there's daddy, and there's your older brothers, and there's your room, and there's your toys, you know, all this stuff, right? And uh, 
Now, the, neat, the interesting thing about that is, from his perspective, this was a done deal. Now, in reality, there were several steps we had to do as, you know, the parents and as the social workers and everyone. But from his perspective, this was a done deal. Very much like our adoption with God. We are adopted. If you're adopted by God, it's, you, you're adopted. You are his. But have you experienced the fullness of that adoption yet? No. And so we wait for it. And in the waiting, we groan a little bit because it's, it's taking so long. And, we, and we, we, you know, we're not there yet. And we haven't experienced all that God has for us yet. And for our son, the social workers had said, one of the things we encourage parents to do is he's got pictures. So he sort of has the pictures of the promise of his future. But can you send him something tangible, like a gift? Can you give him a gift that he can, this tactile, and he can hang on to, and he can play with, or he can, whatever, that will re- remind him that you exist, that you're real. These aren't just pictures in a book, but there's really someone out there that gave him this gift. And so we were like, okay, well, this gift, there's a lot riding on this gift. We really want him to have a real confidence that mommy and daddy are coming. And so we went shopping and looking and thinking, and anyhow, this is what we got. We got him a snowbird airplane, because we're from Moose Jaw, and he wasn't. He was from a different city. So we wanted him to know about a little bit of our town, and we thought it'd be fun. He's a boy, you know, it's a boy stuffy, right? It's really fun. And, uh, and so we, we sent this through the social workers, and, and he got that. And then every night, his foster parents would tuck him into bed with his snowbird, and, uh, and this is from mommy and daddy. And this is, they really are real, because they sent you this. And so this is what he, ha- he had to hang on to. This is what he had to hang on to. And God knows in our, in our experience, in the waiting, God has given us something to hang on to. And, and it's just basically right in here. We believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. So it's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that's the foretaste of the future. It's the experience of God leading and guiding us through the Holy Spirit. That's the foretaste of what's yet to come. And it says, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We're under the curse too. And we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Including the new bodies he's promised us. So if you've got aches and pains, I'm starting to discover new ones. Uh, Then... Good news. Part of our full rights as adopted children is renewed bodies. I, I keep finding different parts that are like not as good as they used to be. I'm excited for a renewed body. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it, but we look forward to something we don't yet have. If we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit is the thing that we have, the foretaste of his glory. The Holy Spirit within us helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. 
And the Father, uh, this is amazing because the whole Trinity shows up in this helping us in this waiting to be adopted stage. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know, oh, this is one of the best verses in the entire Bible, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Wow. Spirit's interceding for us, and God is working for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be like his son, his intention. What's the good he's working out in your life? He's making you like Jesus in your character. He's giving you a heart like Jesus. Giving you the ability to interact with people more and more like Jesus. And he's doing that through the Holy Spirit's work in your life. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to be like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's forming a family, a multi-ethnic, from every nation, family of God. Many brothers and sisters. When my third son came into the family, he was the third son. He gained two brothers. Two older brothers who'll protect him on the playground or whatever, who'll vouch for him, who'll keep him out of trouble, hopefully. He gained maybe not many brothers and sisters initially, but he gained two brothers. Still pretty good. But when we come into the family of God, we look around. We gain many brothers and sisters. And this is a very small sampling of the worldwide church that we're a part of. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing. Remember the Romans about how do we get right with God? Having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. We have the promise of his glory. All that God is will be ours And then it just gets even better. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? There's three statements in here that are like, if then. If then. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? In other words, what what opposition really can counterbalance, can can outweigh God's being for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Put all the opposition you can on this side of the scale, it doesn't outweigh that God is for us. You should always be recognized you're a blessed person. You you might be victimized on this side of the scale, but you are more blessed on this side than you are victimized on this side. If God is for you, who can be against you? So yes, you might be treated unjustly, you might have things, hardships in your life, but the sum total, the summary statement of your life should be you're a blessed person. If you, if you are in Christ, if you belong to him, if you've been adopted by him, you are in Christ, you're blessed more than you're victimized. If God is for us, who can be against us? And here's another if then. Since he did not spare even his own son. So if God gives us his own son, Jesus, to come and be the sacrifice that, that's, a good en- that's enough, more than enough to cover our sins. If he gives us that, if he gives us him, 
Won't he also give us everything else? Sometimes I struggle to trust God with my needs. I shouldn't do that, but I do. And you know what I think the best thing to do is just come back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. What did he give me? He gave me his son. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's generous. He gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He is so generous. If he did that, why don't I trust him in all those other areas where I have need? Why don't I come to him and say, wow, you're the best provider. You provided for my salvation. My greatest need you met. I've got some lesser needs. They're still pretty important. But you already met my greatest need, so I'm going to trust you with my lesser needs. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. God himself has given us right standing with himself through Christ. Who then will condemn us? No one. I mean, it's not that people don't condemn you. But they can't speak a word over your life that is greater than the word God has spoken over your life. I mean, he said, forgiven over your life. Say, this is my child, my very own. This is the one who can come into my presence and say, Abba, Father. He has the right to enter in like that. So who will then condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. The Spirit intercedes for us. God is working things together for our good so we could become like Jesus. And then here we have Jesus interceding for us. It's like, wow. Can any, anything ever separate us from God's love, from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Isn't that good to hear? Your fears for today, your worries about tomorrow, can't separate you from the love of God. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I'm sharing this with you today to encourage you as you wait for your adoption. I mean, you're adopted, but as you wait for the fullness of your adoption. So we live in this now. Some things are absolutely true, and some things are not yet. Now, if you've trusted in Jesus, if, you, if you're looking to him for your salvation, if you're looking to what he did on the cross for you, if he's made you his child, then now these things are true, and you have this deposit, the Holy Spirit at work in you. And that's to remind you that the things that he's promised yet to come are true, and you can depend on him. Now, I've said all those things about what it's like to be adopted by God and not quite have it all there yet, and we're waiting for that, and we're yearning for that, and we're eager for that. I think of in the New Testament, Paul said, you know, to live is Christ. It's all about Jesus, but to die is gain. You get to be with Jesus. 
This life is pretty awesome, actually, in many ways. And it's full of frustration. But the life to come is, is better by far. So I realize as I'm sharing this today that there may be some who, you're not, you don't know if you are adopted as his child. I try to give you a, a few hints that might encourage you if you're sort of wondering, and maybe some of you are encouraged by that, maybe you're still wondering. But let me just tell you how, you, how this happens. It, becoming God's child, it's all about faith in Jesus. It's all about trusting what Jesus has done. Let me read you just a few verses. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world, so the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So spiritual darkness is trying its hardest to prevent all of us from seeing who Jesus is for us. To seeing the glory of God displayed for us in the face of Jesus. I think of all the just artists through the years who've, who've just put all their effort, their blood, sweat, and tears into helping people understand the gloriousness of God. I think of Handel's Messiah and how you know, he would just be so emotionally moved in writing that score, that music that would elevate people to look at Jesus. I think of even today in modern, you know, uh, the Chosen series. You know, people using their creativity, their acting skills, and, you know, all those different things. So people can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, perhaps. And the, the enemy doesn't want that, but God wants you to see. And I think the thing is that when you see it, you just got to say it. When you see it, you got to say it. Romans 10.9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So when you see who Jesus is, when you see that he is Lord, and I'm proclaiming it to you this morning, Jesus is Lord of all. Every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's an inevitability for every human being. And I don't want that to be something that's a new experience when you come to that day when we stand before him together. I want it to be a deja vu. I want you to be already saying, I've been here, I've been proclaiming that he is my Lord for years. I've been experiencing the Holy Spirit working in me to fight sin and to, and to embrace Jesus relationally for years. And so when you bow your knee and confess with your tongue that he is Lord, you'll say, I've been doing this for years. So John 1.12 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. You know who's been um, waiting the longest when it comes to adoption? God has. You know, the Bible says that he abounds in love and he's slow to anger. The default mode in, in what we understand about God is love. It doesn't say he's quick to, 
He doesn't abound in anger and he's slow to love. It's the opposite. He leads with love. He's patient with love. He delays his judgment out of love so that you can come into relationship with him. When people scoff and say, well, yeah, he said he's coming back and he's been gone so long. The Bible's answer to that is he is wait, he's waiting so more people can come into relationship with him. When Jacob, my son, was waiting for adoption, must have seemed like an eternity to him, but we were waiting. We were longing. We were eager. And that's a human heart, a flawed human heart. God's heart is so pure and his love towards you is so real and powerful and his love towards you. He is waiting for your adoption. He's waiting for that day when you turn towards him and you say, I see I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I see he offers forgiveness and I need it. I see he offers leadership in my life and I embrace it. I see that he is Lord of all and now I proclaim with my mouth and, I, and in my heart, I know it's real. He is my Lord. He is my Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord. I bow my knee. And my tongue confesses that you are Lord. I give you my life. I surrender it to you. Lead on. Lead on. Direct me by your Holy Spirit. Help me live a life that honors you by the Holy Spirit. He's waiting for your adoption. Today could be your day. Today might be the day if you're just you're watching this online. Today could be your day. We just say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to knee about the knee. I'm ready to confess with my mouth. Let's pray. Can I get you to stand with me here in house? I'm going to just invite you to pray with me. And uh, if you're in house, would you just repeat after me again? This prayer that we often pray here, it's, it's great for every day. It could be true for you as an everyday prayer, but it could be a first. For some of you, it could be that first sort of communication with God where you're surrendering your life to him, where you're giving yourself to him, where you're receiving all that he is. Even if you don't know very much about God or about Jesus, you'll learn as you go. But I want to just tell you, he loves you and he wants to lead your life. And you need... You need the forgiveness of sins. You need to stop being part of the rebel creation and be the restored creation, be the renewed creation that he's made you to be. So let's, let's just recite this together. And again, it's not the words, but they'll guide you. But it's the heart that comes before God in sincerity with these things. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just tell you today, if you made a decision, this is your first time decision 
just to, to give your life to Christ and you're brand new in this, uh, the, the angels in heaven are already throwing a party. We'd love to be part of that party. Could you tell us about it? We'd be so pumped to, to walk with you in those first few steps and to help you with that. So please share that with somebody. Call the church. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you're, if you're joining us online in that. Thank you for walking through. Isn't Romans 8 great? It's great. It's incredible. What an amazing chapter. I encourage you, if you haven't been reading through Romans in these last number of weeks, I encourage you, read, read through Romans. But if you don't, you say, I'm not going to be able to read through it. Read through 8. Read through 8. Read it again and again. It is full of promises and truths and realities that our souls hunger for. So just come back to the great eight. I just encourage you. It's a great place to keep meditating and thinking about what, who Christ is for us. Amen? Amen. Well, let's, Joya, lead us.
hope you have a great week. If you do need prayer, our prayer teams are here to pray with you. So come on up if you do need prayer this morning. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.